When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. To 2 2, and we've still got more than half an hour to go. And here's Ozil. Lacazette. Ozil! Go! Could it went left, but it went right. Because it went wrong, but it went right. Said it was Ian, but it went right. Pass on, pass on, sack. MVP in the night. Can they get a deposit in? Could have had that fight, but I'm gonna walk on side. Man, I have to drop that man. You're not gonna spit this time. Trying to work with a good oh, energy. Man, you're gonna work with a bad man vibe. None of these guys can't do it. Hello and welcome to another Touchy Gooners podcast. It's your boy Dan Coops on hosting duty today, and I'm joined by my good friend Sean SV Carboholic. How you doing, my man? Yeah, good man. Good, all good. Good to see you back, bro. Paternity's been been slapping you. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. So hopefully this um this is the start of many more more pods. Uh, I've been doing some negotiation with my my wife around you know the timing this and the other, but um you know hopefully hopefully this is this is uh, me resuming business as usual. So it feels good to be back, man, and it feels good to be back jumping on the pod after a 6-0 win, you know, so um, that's always, always, always welcome when Arsenal uh, come back with resounding result. A shame we didn't get blood of our enemies this weekend, though. I think Tobe said this is like the first time in like two or three years where, you know, all of the big six won their respective games on the same weekend, which is a bit of a shock. We were very, very close to getting, you know, some blood from Chelsea, from United, <laughs> from Spurs. But, you know, some late goals there really saved their bacon, really. But, um, you know, before we get into it, minor housekeeping. If you're not following us on socials, make sure you drop us a follow. We love interacting with all of you listeners, um, you know, getting the questions that we we try and respond to on these podcasts. Um, If you're listening on whatever podcast, Spotify, Apple, whatever platform you're listening on, make sure you leave that five-star review. Um, that really helps the pod, uh, gets our, 
our name out there, you know, uh, really help support us. And, you know, the more support you show, the more content that we can chuck out to you guys as well. Um, so, Shell, 6-0 win. You know, um, I think there was a bit of a arm in an R in when the line lineup came out, right? When, you know, we saw no ESR, no Jesus, no Tomiyasu, um, who I think were three guys that we were supposed to be expecting to, to be involved. Um, Jorginho back to the bench as well. Uh, and there's some, some some talk around an issue that he's been nursing in recent weeks. So how did you feel about the lineup um, when that came out? Because I know people were, you know, sort of speculating about a few kind of permutations um, that we might, you know, start with given that West Ham were going to come with the, their deep block. So how did you feel about that? Yeah, I, I can't lie. I, I was... Um... I was I was uh, a bit apprehensive, you know. When I saw the seven names, I said, "Rah!" I was I was feeling a bit confident going into it, but when I saw that, yeah, it made me a little um, apprehensive. Uh, I mean, you know, the Jorginho stuff. I, I expected that for me. That's only really a big game stuff. When you know you're going to play a deep block, you know, you get an extra attacker in there. So um, overall, it was still calm, but it was it was one of those ones where you were looking at the bench and you're thinking, "Rah! If we need the bench today, we might be um, in big trouble." But uh, as as such, it, it it wasn't necessary. Said to Lewis on the on, on the post match as well. Really and truthfully, um, there wasn't anything to be worried about, man. And obviously, you could tell these guys after the two defeats to West Ham earlier this season, they really wanted to get back in blood. Mm. Yeah, for real, for real, for real. And I think yeah, Zinchenko is another name that wasn't um, in the squad that you know we we could have expected to see. Um, and yeah, I think I think um, you know I'm, I'm similar to you that. For me, it was whatever the lineup just win. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like today and well, that day uh, on on Sunday, and I think for this next sort of run that we, we we've got coming up in the league, it's literally just about points of accumulation, making up for some of those silly um, drop points that we did earlier in the season, and really just getting three points after three points after three points after three points. You know, so um, I, for, it was about getting the win. And leave them without any further injuries for me. So, you know, we'll get we'll get into the the actual game um, for me personally. And I thought, you know, the two guys that really shone in this match were Trossard and Odegaard. Um, so I, I, I'd like to focus in on Trossard's performance. Obviously, he gets a, he gets the fourth goal, I believe, just before um, just before halftime. That's the first goal that we scored from open play in the match. But before that, he was really cooking something up, you know. And I think you know we've had this discussion about Trossard quite a bit recently about sort of where he fits into this team. Um, and when you see him, you know, take his chance like that, I think he's up to six goals now in the league so far this season. Um, he scored now three in three games um, since the uh, or three and four games, I think, since the Dubai um, warm weather training. So he's in red hot form. Um, as well, so so like so far, um, how did you feel about him popping up in central areas? Do you think that's now, you know, where we need to deploy him? Yeah, for, for me, one of my issues with Trossard has always been he's not someone who can naturally create separation. Maybe as an impact sub, like he did it well against Liverpool the other week, right? But generally, as a rule, um, I don't really want Trossard wide, especially against deep blocks. Um, it's not gonna, it, it's not enough for me, but. You know, we did big him up when he signed last season and, and most of his appearances came as a false nine, right? So it's been a bit interesting that we stopped doing that 
I thought Trossard at Force Nine because for the most part, right, Trossard at Force Nine worked. You know, we often talk about, you know, the facilitation for <laughs> we often talk about the facilitation for the for, for the wide guys. Um and I thought he's, you know, you know, when we talk about more natural replacement for Jesus, he he's probably the most similar. Obviously not as aggressive and and uh, for, as, as pressing from the front, not as probably aggressive in jewels and stuff, but very intelligent, right? Um, it, it sort of reminded me, do you remember back in the last season, I think we went away to Fulham and it was similar. We just completely just bopped them off the park. They didn't have a kick. So um, it, it felt like there was a lot of, you know, when we knew West Ham were going to line up in a deep block, we wanted to get as many players central as possible to pull them apart, destabilise them. So I thought one of the interesting things, I thought this game was white inverted from right back. That's actually something we've never seen before. Um, and, and it's also interesting considering people have said it sort of happened at Brighton, you saw it under Marco Bielsa at Leeds, so I thought that was good, Trossard at Force, now we just had, had an overload of central passing options, um, and, and I thought that was really, really good, man, because we sucked them in and then we just, you know, we went either wide to Saka or Martinelli, obviously, mostly Saka this game, so it was really good, and for, for me, um, if Trossard is going to start, this should always be the position he starts in for me personally, And um, but yeah, and it was a really, really good performance, we've spoken about um, even though I do have some issues with how he is in build-up sometimes, um, I say that he put a lovely ball over the top for Saka to win the penalty. But he's a very efficient finisher. I can never hold that against him. He's probably the cleanest ball striker we have at the club, you know, off either foot as well. You can tell sometimes that he's obviously the older statesman in, in the attack. And you can tell that by the way he finishes because he there's conviction in his finishing, which I really respect. Yeah, off both, off both feet as well, you know. And I thought it's quite interesting how he was dovetailing with... Um, with Havertz as well, right in that in that false nine, and then Havertz giving you that false false eight um, uh, that role within that team as well, right? Because you know I think when Trossard has started in sort of that left eight position, you might not necessarily get what you want from him off the ball when it comes to you know winning the second balls, maybe defending in the midfield as part of you know that second bank of of of, of four. Um, if we're defending in that 4-4-2. And I thought, you know, the, the central position for him in the false nine, it probably gets the best out of him where we're asking you to defend from the front um, in terms of that pressing, you know, putting pressure on uh, the centre-backs, the full-back, that kind of thing, without them necessarily having to, you know, get stuck in in the middle of the park where, you know, West Ham have got some of their bigger players, their Alvarez is there, um, Suchek's, uh, James Ward-Prowse, etc. Um, and I think, you know, he, he, he got to show his talents to really good effect in this match. You know, I thought he was dropping in um, and almost sort of half cheating where he's coming in deep to, to pick up the ball, but then, you know, he's ghosting back out again to to, to be on the end of things. So, you know, I, I agree with you where I, where I think that's probably where he looks the absolute best. And then on the flip side, someone like Havertz is probably more comfortable than him, you know, in that nitty-gritty centre of the park stuff, especially when you're talking about, you know, some of the off-the-ball um, off work that he, he he gets stuck into. So, you know, I thought Trotsky took his goal very well and generally, you know, was a contender for man of the match um, eventually. But we had uh, another two or three guys um, that that could have got that, that spot as well. So, you know, I do want to talk about Martin Odegaard as well. Yeah, so we do have a question um, from uh, one of the listeners that I did see uh, earlier. Um, 
and this was talking. This is from uh, H H A Football. Um, oh, Huss, uh, yeah, big game up, man. Yeah, good, good, good follow there. If you guys don't don't follow him, that's a that's a good account to follow. You know, he's a good good conversationist about being you know one of these rude little weirdos that you might see on the TL. But he asked, do you think Odegaard is starting to hit his peak? In the last two and a half months, he has reached a new level, especially creatively. Ten big chances created in his last fourteen games, three plus key passes per ninety, and zero point three seven expected assists per ninety. Um, so that those are, you know, really, really, really good numbers. And I think if you go on the Premier League website, I'm not sure who um, who leads this stat, but you will. I think it yeah, gets Mo Salah with big chances created um, 17 for the season, right? So when you're talking about Odegaard doing this in, you know, 10 big chances in his last 14 games when we're you know, sort of 23 games into the season. That's Those are really, really, really good numbers. You know, really, really good numbers um, when you're talking about, you know, the top echelon of um, creativity. So do you think he's starting to hit his peak? Because this level of form that we're seeing, I think, since he's come back after that Newcastle game is is exceptional. Yeah, yeah. For, for me, since November, you know, we often speak about how things started to change after November creatively. Um I think probably alongside Big Gabby, I think he's been the best player in the team, personally. Like I, I really think this guy's cooking. I thought it was an interesting point Anton made as well. And 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 I think you've made it before. Generally, I'm much more a fan of when Erdegaard's having a lot of touches. I think if Erdegaard's having a lot of touches, you made this point before, I think we're onto a good thing. You know, earlier on in the season, we spoke about Erdegaard was sort of playing on the last line. We were trying to get engineer shooting positions for him. And obviously, Erdegaard's really good at shooting. So I understand. Um, but obviously... I think party to Odegaard was a high passing combination last season, right? And, and it hasn't been so much so this season. So I think the drop of, you know, Odegaard dropping slightly deeper. I mean, even in this game, there were times where he was picking up the ball from the centre-backs, right? And he was literally just cutting lines through to like Havertz and Trossard, who would then, you know, hit one of the wings. I thought it was really, really good, man. I think he's been really like in his playmaker bag recently. Like, I think one of the things that's actually upset me, I think he's only on like five league assists, which I, which is generally criminal. He should be on minimum double that. I think back to games like Wolves at home, where Eddie Trossard missed sitters, Jesus missed sitters, Brighton at home, similar. Um, even against Liverpool the other week, he created for um, Kivior. He had a, he had another one. He created the, the opening goal for Havertz, basically. Um, he's really been putting on for the team, generally, man. And, and I... Much prefer when Erdogan, like I said, he, he's heavily involved rather than mm. when we want to put him on. I think him also being, and I said this to Lewis on the, on the post-match, him being sort of deeper, it also allows Saka to come inside a bit more. Like, you know, when we speak about Saka receiving the ball wide on the touchline with chalk on his boots, it's not really one thing we want to see. Ideally, you want Salah, I mean, Saka in that Salah position, you know, receiving the ball on the width of the penalty area where, you know, you saw for the fifth goal, he only had one guy to beat, you know what I mean? Whereas normally when we're stuck against, you know, couple of people on the touchline it becomes harder it becomes a bit more monotonous and I think Leroy mentioned it in the chat this we, we look like we've been a bit more vertical um also since November which I think was necessary as well man so mm. um really really good I, I can't I can't praise him high enough man it's one of those things where you're like you just don't want this to end like you don't want anything to scupper form like you just want it to you want to keep him like on the low cook man and he, and he is really really cooking at the moment so yeah, yeah. and he should he, he should be on minimum tennis in the league alone minimum 
Yeah, and I think I think as well, you know, when you talk about um, him coming deeper, allowing Saka to come inside more, I think that's a really, really good point um, that you've made there because I think one of the points that Gary Neville made, I don't always like his analysis, but, you know, I think this was a good point that he he made when he's talking about, you know, Arsenal's front three when we weren't necessarily in the best place going forward earlier in this season, that they lacked connectivity, you know. And I think one of the, the elements that we've seen over the past few weeks um, is, you know, that front three being, you know, a little bit narrower. You know, we know Saka still receives very wide, but um, sometimes, you know, it Odegaard dropping deeper allows him to, you know, not always be out on the touchline, coming in, receiving where he did um, against West Ham, you know, in order to, you know, cause that devastating damage once he's been inside the box. And before, you know, he got his penalty, but you look at the run that he makes um, to win the penalty uh, is the very central run, you know, out to in, um, you know, very, very bad defensive line that West Ham are playing, but, you know, it's a fantastic run. Um, and the two chances he had even before, we won that penalty is him, you know, out in making runs into into the box um, to pick up chances in central areas, which is, you know, where he can be, you know, way more devastating as we saw, you know, for large spells in last season. So I think that's a really good point is that, you know, when Odegaard is not necessarily in that top right half space, you know, you're you're taking people out of that zone to allow, you know, Saka to, to really cook. Um, so I think I think that's a that's a really key point, um, and then uh, as well on Odegaard is like you said I think there's been a few games. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach; you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip; you ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, now where he's actually been putting stuff on a plate for these guys. You know, I think I think the Brighton game or maybe the Wolves game at home where I'm thinking, yo, I think I think I see Eddie miss a sitter. I think I see, you know, Saka miss bare sitters and all of this stuff. And I'm just like, wow, you man, we need to stat pad. We actually need to stat pad because you know you look over at Man City and these man 
you know, I think this you said they all start on five goals, five assists before, you know, you just look at the stats. You see in years past, Mares is already on 15 goals by, by March or something like that. And then, you know, you're looking at this and I'm saying, you know, how, how are these lot doing it? Because when they do it, they're just racking it up 2 0, 3 0, 4 0. You know, they just like, and and I would like to think that this is something that we're starting to develop, um, you know, with the, the Crystal Palace game um, and this game now where, you know, I think you've seen it with this Arteta team. When we're 2-0 up or 3-0 up, the game sort of dies. And we don't necessarily go for that fourth, go for that fifth, go for that sixth. And so I, w- I was quite happy that we were doing that or it looked like we were doing that at least up until, you know, some of those subs... Uh, came on in this game but you know another uh, performance that um, I did want to mention that I thought was quite interesting from a tactical perspective um, was Ben White so you know I thought this was a very very interesting um, tactical setup you know not one that I don't I can't remember us playing in this way before West Ham where we see Ben White being the one to sometimes drop in to the centre of the, the, the midfield and form a double pivot with um, Declan Rice. Um, and, you know, this is something that you have mentioned, uh, Sean, in the past, you know, talking about how he played under Bielsa, etc. You know, we've, we've had this conversation in Tachigunas about him, you know, play, potentially being like a backup number six if we're in a real, um, you know, injury pickle. Um, and I thought it was kind of, you know, like when we saw it, it's one of those things that's like, almost like a light bulb moment. It's like, why have we actually not done this before? Because we've seen party invert. We've even seen, we've seen Timber invert very for a very brief period. Obviously we've seen Zinchenko, we've seen Kibio, we've seen Tomiyasu. Um, and if you look at it, of the sort of the fullback centre-backs that we have, the one who seems most obvious for that inverting role is Ben White. You know, and we know that he, he, he sometimes drops into that line of midfield to make a three uh, with Zinchenko or with Party or whoever that might be. But we never really see him come in and take that actual central role. And, you know, I thought it was quite interesting because we still saw loads of overlaps um, from Ben White. Um, but then what I thought was quite interesting is when he went into midfield, we then saw Saliba carrying the ball over quite big distances as well, you know. So I thought that was a very, very... Um, interesting tactical um layer you know as german dan likes to likes to say so what what were your thoughts on ben white um you know sort of inverting from right back yeah uh, it's um it's, it's always interesting right you, you spoke about the inversion and it, it we always want to have someone inverting right whether that's from left back or right back you spoke early on in the season zinchenko wasn't available so it was party doing it but we know zinchenko is the most natural obviously we saw timber sort of do it um before he before he went down as well so um, and to your point, it, it does feel weird that we've never really tried Ben White at it. Um, he feels like pretty much a, a, a natural as well. And I, I you know, um, so I, I thought he was really, really good, man. And it'd be interesting to see if this was just a one-off or whether it's whether this is something we're going to look to continue, right, um, a bit more long-term. You know, there were times they actually still overlapped in this game, you know, mm-hmm. from um, over Erdegaard and Saka as well. So... So I, he he often talks about Ben White talks about you know Arteta wants the tactical flexibility right you've got to be able to play like full back centre mid and almost like as a ten in one otherwise you don't play for him so but to your point when we've used Tomiyasu and Kivio there 
um, White looks like more of a natural fit for me. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, it's one to watch to see if this continues, man, for sure. But he was, he's been good, and he has been good since the Dubai winter break, man. So it looks like he was one of those who needed the rest um, mm. more than anything. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite interesting because I think, you know, if Timber was fit, do you reckon we would have seen this earlier as well with him potentially inverting from right back and not just left back? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think I think Timber was was really one of the key tactical pieces um, that was brought right. Like you said, someone like similar to Tommy S, who can play all across the back four, but very agile, knows how to drop the shoulder, good ball carrier. So it would have been really interesting to see how Arteta used that. Obviously, we he started left back against um, Forest first game of the season, right? So, um, and he would drop in. Um, well, he, yeah, he would drop in, but he would... I don't know, man. I, it, it's, it's really one we, we can't say until, until unfortunately, we see Timber for a stretch again, mm -hmm. man. But I think for Arteta, it's just important to have those tactical pieces, which allows him good build-up, which, which, mm -hmm. which I've always said. I think once we build up well, a lot of the other stuff naturally flows. So, um, yeah, man, no, it's good. Really yeah, and I, and I think, you know, what is quite interesting there is that... Um, I don't know if... If Tommy Asu comes in at left back, and we know Arteta has inverted him at times, or um, if we start, so if we start with a, a back four of, say, potentially Tommy, uh, Gabriel Saliba, Ben White, you could potentially choose to invert, you know, depending on the play from either side within the same match, you know, which is. You know, something we've spoken about in the group is that, like, you know, I think at the moment we've got flexibility with certain profiles, right? So, you know, you, you can play, you know, I think German Dan said, oh, we've perfected um, the, the double six box midfield, right? Or you've got the double eights um, and then someone inverts as well. And then you've got an ESR, you've got Havertz, you've got Odegaard, etc. playing in front of them. Um, and I think... You know, what would be ideal in Arteta's head potentially is having someone that allows you to flip between both of those systems rather than you having to, you know, make a sub, may have a different starting lineup. You've got that almost total football from the guys that, from the 11 on the pitch. Do you get what I'm saying? So, you know, Ben White might be the guy that comes in and sits next to Rice or it might be Tomiyasu or it might be Zinchenko. I think one of the things that makes... It's difficult with Zinchenko there potentially playing um, if, if, if Ben White is the one inverting is that do you want Zinchenko to be in that back three at any point or be, you know, the one deepest? Probably not. But I can see definitely see that with Kivio. I can definitely see that with Tomiyasu. You know what I'm saying? Um, and maybe they're, they're not necessarily as effective inverters. But, you know, when you see us linked to certain left backs, you know, um, there's this uh, Hato guy who, who, who um, has played left-back, centre-back, I think DM as well. That is something interesting. When you've got Timber, who's playing um, at left-back, potentially he can invert and also play that left-centre-back role as well. So, you know, I think um, it, is, it is definitely an extra tactical layer um, that we can bring to the team if you are looking at Ben White coming into, into midfield. Um, so there's a couple... Um, other performances we've spoken on Saka um a little bit as well. Um he leads with two goals, one penalty, I think, from some some good um play. Uh, I think Trossard's the one that plays the ball over the, the top to him as well. So he was really in his 
you know his full bag of tricks um this this day you know um some some great passes but i think declan rice um and nicholas jover you know uh deserve some commendation um coming out of this match right so you know i think we win the first corner um i think it was trossard's volley right where martinelli went over to the other side um and put a nice cross in for trossard who hits it on the volley gets saved and then we take a corner with Declan Rice and so you know we've had this conversation Sean and it's like I think what game was it was it it was before Liverpool right I think it might have been I think it might have been Crystal Palace we played them and I, I think that was the first time we see Declan Rice on the corner right and the first thing I said is you know what's Rice doing on corners you know and then I think we scored from the first one um that he took and then I see him again and it's sort of like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily sit right with me that you know we've got one of the tallest players, one of the best in the air, um sitting on corners. But when he's putting deliveries in like he's doing, I don't think we can really complain um too much because you put that one, you know, right on the money, Saliba's there at the back post. It, it looked like the easiest goal that you'll ever score, you know. Um and then him and Gabrielle have a conversation for um the free kick. He tells him exactly where he wants to put it. Um, he whips one in, fantastic ball. Um, and again, easy as you like. We had about three guys in the line waiting to score um, that goal. And then icing on the cake on the day, um, Odegaard and Trossard sort of have a bit of a miscommunication about a pass back from Ben White. And Declan Rath says, you know what? Don't worry about it, lads. I'm whipping this one straight into the back of the net. You know, that's a, a proper swaz. Uh, the way he, he he hit that and bent it away from the keeper. Um, so he, you know, had a great, great day out, you know, got a bit of revenge for the fans out booing him. I think they're ridiculous um, booing him for that as well, um, for, for moving and upgrading his life, you know. Um, <laughs> just this, just 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 the shambles from them, to be honest, I think um, it's, it's, it's quite disrespectful. Um, to, to boo, and I don't really understand it either. You know, that's a that's a cup-winning captain. But I, I don't think any of the West Ham fans have seen their club win anything. You know, so to, to treat them in that way uh, is 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 a bit beyond me. But you know, he had a great day. So, what did you make of um, Declan's performance? Yeah, it was top, man. It was top, and I think after the first two performance, I mean, obviously he came on against West Ham in the League Cup, but in the home game he probably didn't have the best game. So. Um, yeah, and obviously the stick, and I, he, he just wanted to show out, man. He just wanted to show out, and it's still the point you made. It still doesn't necessarily sit well with me him taking set pieces when I'm just like, this is a six foot two brother who scored the winner against Man United, scored the winner against Luton. He's evidently very good in the air, get him in the box. Um, but at the same time, you can't argue with his his delivery, right? He's had like three assists in his last like five games, so I wonder even if he might start taking free kicks from a certain mm. side as well, man. Um, because his ball striking is very peak as well. And I said to Lewis on the post-match, it, it, you know, he should be looking to be, you know, similar to a Rodri, like, because Rodri has peak ball striking as well, right? It's one of those ones that even though you're playing as the six, you can still engineer shooting opportunities from the edge of the area. Like, think back to Party's goal in the North London derby against um, Forest as well. It's like, you know, those balls rolling at him on the edge of the area, um, he could pick up, like five six goals a season i think he's already on four for us he's got four goals four assists so that's a sick return well i mean you know not that we sort of put any sort of target on his head we just wanted rice to play well right but if he's you know chipping in um with end product as well 
I don't think we can moan about that, man. So now he's that was top from him. Um, I, I I really dread to think where he we would be if he hadn't stayed fit all season. You know that Joker party. <laughs> you know six months out. You know, and put it this way, there's no way we can rely on Jorginho or on any. Like, we'd be sitting a lot further down the table and right. had Rice not come and changed our lives, man. So, yeah, he's real whipping excursion with his delivery. But I just real. think, yeah, he's he's been top, man. Top, top, top. More than we could imagine. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a really poignant point, you know, last season. So, you know, we look at the injuries we had coming into this game. No Jesus. No party, no Smith Rowe, no Fabio Vieira, no Tomiyasu, no Zinchenko. You know, so when people talk about our squad depth and whatnot, I think those six names, a lot of them would be in a lot of people's, you know, starting lineups, if not, you know, first first names off the bench, right? And so if you think back to last season, we we're missing those six players, we'd be finished. You know, we'd be absolutely finished. We'd be looking at Lusungu. We'd be looking at, you know, whoever to come in and, and step up. Rob Holding uh, and all of these guys to come in. And no Timber as well, which is seventh. Um, yeah. and, 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 and I think that's probably why, you know, Leroy makes the point in the chat, probably why Arteta deserves credit, right? Because, you know, last season, we sort of knew what the 11 that was going to play was essentially when fit, right? He's had to change to different circumstances. To your point, obviously, Party and Timber have basically missed the whole season. ESR, Jesus, been in and out with injuries, Inchenko in and out, Vieira now, you know, been out for like three months. So probably what were his initial tactical plans, he's probably had to change, adapt. So to do all that and still be two points off top, uh, I think that's that's a sign of really, really good coaching, man. So hopefully he can continue that. And and I think the most important thing now going into the stretch is that we just get everyone back, you know, for, for, the, for, the, for the running, man, especially. So I know I saw... There's an international break in March, right? Which I think is just a joke, like. But you know, if we're still in with a chance of of you know competing at, for for both trophies, man, I can't be seeing any of our guys go away, man. I can't, mm. I can't. I already said before, you know what other guys like when he comes back from internationals, man. And you know, Southgate will just flog Rice and Saka, which isn't just necessary, man. So we need to start being selfish, man. A couple of those guys need to start faking some injuries, or you know, we need to, Arteta needs to have a word or two, man, because we there's there's no way. Yeah, we can be competing for that, and these mm. men are going away to play friendlies in March. It's a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a really good point from um, Diallo in the comments, right? So he says, Arteta has made us so unpredictable now. I legit don't know how we're going to shape up next weekend against Burnley, and neither will company. You know, and I think this is, you know, a really, really poignant point because when you talk about, you know, uh, unpredictability, I think there's several games that I could point to where we've played not necessarily completely um, different, uh, you know, tactical tactical um, layers and, and, and setups in terms of how we play on the ball. You know, Saka's always going to be, you know, receiving um, high and wide at times. You know, your, 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 our forward's always going to want to be dropping in. But there are so many different, you know, Types of flexible, flexible ways we're playing. Do we press high or do we have sitting them um, our our mid block? You know, we look at the Man United game, very very different to how we played against Spurs. Again, then very very different to you know how we played against Liverpool. You know where you know we go way more direct to Havertz, win the second balls and go from there. You know we we've seen um, us 
start the season with not many, you know, fast breaks, um, try and be a bit more methodical when we played against Manchester City, you know, not being open, susceptible to a counter, being very deliberate and um, measured in how we build up to ensure, you know, we're able to, to, to block any potential counterattacks against them. That's very different to how we played against West Ham, where it's like, you know, as soon as our forwards get it, get in the box, deliver, we're making sure we're getting numbers in there um, and really committing to, to, to attacking. So, you know, I think there's different sort of like, you know, if you've got a, a, a set of DJ decks, right, and, and you know, you phase, you phase one side in, you put the volume on that side up, you put the volume on the other side down, you know. We add a little a little synth here and then we, we turn another dial here. And I think, you know, we've got that, um, you know, underlying uh, tactical setup that Arteta wants and what he knows he likes, but certain things he turns the volume up, you know, depending on the opposition, certain things he turns the volume down, depending on the opposition. And I think, you know, what he's doing um, really needs to be commended because, you know, a lot of the criticism we're getting um, earlier in this season, he's shutting people up, you know. We see the tweets now coming out about open play XG the last few games, the most in the league, least XG conceded, most XG, um, I think just uh, second most XG over the whole season just behind Liverpool, this, that and the other. And all of, all of this stuff, you know, slowly, 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 all of the metrics are now starting to, you know, pile up to, to make you really believe that what we're doing is, is really special, you know. So um, I think Arteta does deserve... A big, big pat on the back uh, for for the for the coaching that he's done, and one of the things as well is, you know, main criticism that's been levelled at him is, you know, can you do it when you don't have your ideal lineup, right? Like what we've seen in previous seasons is a few players get injured and everything falls down. You know, a few key pieces. Um, everything falls down and you know I think it's a big big development from him that this season you know you're not necessarily having all your your sharp guys the guys that you want to play and where are we we're still right there still right there plugging away hammering teams um as well so um let's let's pause on the West Ham match there um and let's head into some listeners questions because we do have quite a few um of those so I will go to a question that was asked actually before um, before the pod a couple of hours ago, actually. And this is from Johnny, so Johnny F on Twitter. And he says, is there room for Kieran Tierney now that White can invert? You know, which I thought was an interesting question. Yeah, I, I mean, I personally think it would be a nice profile to have again, although I just generally think Arteta was probably tired of KT. There are too many seasons where, you know, where we talk about down the stretch, right, where there are certain players that we needed available. Like, down the stretch, KT was never available. We just always, we relied on him. And I just think Arteta got tired of him and, and the team sort of evolved away from him. I still think he could maybe do a role, but I I, I just think the team's passed him now, man. So they're trying to loan him to, to fatten up for a, a sell, hopefully in the summer. Mm. Yeah, and I think, I think, I don't think he's, not in the team because of his ability. I I genuinely think Arteta just doesn't trust him um, in terms of you know keeping him fit. And also I think the sort of the, the break in that relationship 
to me came when you know the reports came out about him not being honest about that knee injury that he had, right? And I think from then, you know, if you look at how Arteta spoke about him, he talked about him, you know, like a leader there, he trains really well, you know, he's trying to learn this, that, and the other. Then I think after that, um, boy, he's just been out of out of favor. And you know, once Arteta ain't feeling you, he really ain't feeling you, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I I just think the injuries will 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 get getting in the way too much when it comes to, to Tierney. So even if you did want to, you know, sort of rely on him, how much can you rely on him when, you know, he's out um, injured for half half the season? I think he's played, you know, something like only 10 games for Sociedad this year uh, because he's been, you know, he's been injured a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't, I, I don't think he, he he really is reliable enough for us to, you know, sort of make room and, and include him in any, um, any plans, right? So, um Let's go to Lacastina. So Stina Black 2024 Ballon d'Or soon. <laughs> um, he says most pointless signings we've made since 2010. Oh, damn. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's been quite a few, I'm sure. Dennis Suarez might be up there for sure. Yeah, Dennis Suarez, Kim Kalstrom, uh, Cedric up there. Cedric, who bought Sebastian Scalacci, pointless signing, Stefan Lichsteiner. Pointless sign-in. Boy, there's been, there's been a few, man. There's been there's a lot of stinky few. There's been a few. I, I'm going to... I think, I think yeah, Cedric, Cedric might be mine, man. That, that's not yeah. enough. We put him on big money as well. Um, Even Pablo Mari, pointless. Yeah. Pointless. So, yeah, but yeah, rubbish. I'll go with Cedric. We we gave him a four-year contract and <laughs> he's still here, boy. He's still so, here. Yeah. Man's doing his coaching badges, you know. Um, Weird, weird, weird signing. So, um, Khalil HD3, shout out him. Mm. Um, he says Connor Mulliger had a decent <laughs> performance at less than a mid, but it's noticeable still that the left side didn't bag any goals and assists in a fashion. Is this still a problem or is the left side functioning as intended? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think what was noticeable this game was that there was a lot more rotation, whereas, you know, Martinelli found himself on the right a few times. He drifted quite a few times. I think there's supposed to be a bit of synergy with Trossard and Havertz. So, for example, when Trossard drops in, Havertz goes in behind. I think essentially, even though I don't like it, I just think it's always been, still to this day, it's just more of an off-the-ball role. So... But I've always said with Havertz, if he's not going to contribute anything in build up, he needs to put on he needs to put up numbers, right? So I think he's on like five goals. He's hit a bit of a drought again. So he needs to start putting the ball in the back of the net, mate, to justify your inclusion. Um, Sixty-five mil for for some defensive jewels isn't enough, mate. I'm gonna need you to be active in the final third and just play with some personality, mate. Yeah, it's um, it's um, boy, it's it's. it's... When when he asks the question, right, is the, is this a problem or is the left side function as intended? I, I don't think it is. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think the the intention was for Havertz to really get on the end of things a bit more um, and actually have some some more output. I think off the ball, I don't think anyone can di 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 dispute or debate that it's working, right? Um, you look at uh you know the xg against and all this stuff you know there was that video circulating about um number of open play shots we faced in 
you know, the past um, two games, you know, and it's, it's, you know, like a 10 second clip and all of this stuff. Right. So, you know, I think that, I think that's working, but for me, I think, like you said, Martinelli coming over to the other side, I think you know, it's a bit unfortunate. He didn't really get many chances in this game. I don't remember him taking too many shots in this game, but I think him coming over into more central areas more often coming over to the right is only good, only going to be good to get him closer to the other attackers, um, more rotations, more unpredictability, making him harder to pick up will lead to more shots from him, from, from him um, in the box. So I think we'll get um, much closer to what the intentions are um, there for him. But I think um, with when it comes to uh, Havertz, I, I do think we're expecting a bit more from him um, on, on, on the ball. So, you know, remains to be seen um, where I, we I, end I, up I, with him. I said to Lou, I said to Lewis the other day on the post-match, it's almost, it almost feels like Havertz is better in the bigger games mm-hmm. rather than the smaller games. Like He's more of a threat in the bigger games, maybe because there's a bit more space. He's obviously quite fast for a six-foot-four guy. He can go, you know, he can go in behind, go over the top. But you know, where we need a bit more jinky and a bit more combinations in the smaller games, he's never really massively involved in that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. But obviously, listen... As long as we keep winning, well, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep still. <laughs> you won't mm. you, won't, you, won't, you won't be hearing much from me. But yeah, I would like to see more, man. But yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. And we've got this again from Diallo in the comments, right? So, so you man going to revisit the Ramsdale Raya debacle? I personally overreacted early on. Raya has elevated us massively. So yeah, I think that's a really fair point um, to make because that that conversation has essentially just died. Um, to be honest, because I think, you know, Raya has um, basically, you know, shut down that conversation with his recent performances. I think I saw a um, conversation on Twitter where someone said that Raya's got the the, the, the most cross claims in the, in the league so far this season, right? Which I think is probably the biggest indicator of why he was brought in to allow us to be Super aggressive because I think when you claim a cross, right, you can it gives you the opportunity to instantly turn you know defense into attack. You know, so when you talk about shot suppression and all of this, if a keeper doesn't come for it, you're relying on a defender to clear it, you're given an opportunity for a striker to potentially you know get on the end of something, it's a bit more you know chaos in that area. But the keeper gets it, everything is super calm, you know. The the center backs know things are under control, the, the guy's got you know control of his area his zone allows people to relax um, and also we've seen it in recent weeks allows you to really get yourself up the pitch um very very quickly you know and we've had uh, a couple of opportunities where we um you know could have scored um and and and, and we actually did score from a, a couple of these opportunities as well you know so um i think i think that is a very no- noticeable point and you know long may it continue for Raya to play this way because at, at the start this was looking it was looking very very spooky looking very very spooky um yeah i think that's um a real a real a real fair point um so con cluso connor uh on twitter he says how much of a pay increase has nicholas yoba earned this season yeah i can't lie he he's going brazy like he's, he's legit going brazy um 16 goals i think we've scored from set pieces which is absolutely 
and ridiculously insane. Um, I don't know what the record in the premise for set pieces. Surely we must be approaching it, right? Because I think uh, 16 was, I think it was roughly around 20% of the goals we scored this season have been have been from set pieces. Um, and initially, I, I did see it as a problem. I, I said to Lewis the other day, I said, I'm not sure if it's sustainable. But I think to the point he made was that when you generate so much dominance and you pen teams back in, you are going to have a lot of set pieces. Um, and so it makes sense to work on them, right? It's a string to add to your bow. So I don't think it's something that we should neglect. And obviously, something that they work extremely, extremely hard on, man. So long may it continue. It evidently is sustainable, man. So he, he more than anything, he's coaching his ass off with these set pieces, man. Give him a pay rise. Mm, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, so Khalil HC3 had another question. Um, and I think we we covered this slightly. So it says White and Burton seemed overdue but worked very well. Is anyone a bit surprised if you haven't seen it earlier um this season? And is it preferable to Zinchenko and Burton in big games due to his defensive security? Yeah, I, I think I think it's more we just have to be prepared to, to your earlier point about there's just different different moods for different games. I don't think we should get used to anything being set in stone, right? Uh, we spoke about Arteta making us more unpredictable. So um, it's good just to have loads of different options, right? Teams don't know what's going to come um, to the point Diallo made. It makes it harder to plan. So um, I would like to see it more. But again, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there are loads of different ideas Arteta has in his head, man. So as long as it's making us effective further up the pitch, I don't really mind. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, Nazir at Azir underscore Lee says, thoughts on Kirio at left-back and continuing there. He adds even more physical presence to our back four. Uh, I mean, we have to be honest. When Timba, Tomiyasu, who's in Chenko are fit, he's going to be on the bench, right? That's that's the reality of, of what it is. Um, but I thought he did okay. I think he started a bit maybe jittery. Um on Sunday, but for the rest of it, uh, he, he kept Kudus pretty quiet, and and that was probably a concern of mine pre-game. You know, Kudus has had quite a bit of joy against us a couple times this season already, but yeah, we really padlocked him, and the easiest way to padlock him was keeping the ball away from that zone and from that side, right? So he had, he had nothing, man. He had nothing. Mm. So I think he's done okay. You know, the Kivior, the jury's still out on him, um, in my opinion. Obviously, I think Arteta probably helped him by telling him not to invert anymore. Playing him more as a third centre back probably suits him a lot more than inverting. Um, so yeah, I think he's done okay, and maybe he's, you know, he's getting more minutes now than he did previously, right? So maybe it's just a case of comfort. He's feeling more comfortable within the setup. Um, so yeah, let's let let's 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 see on that man. I don't I don't like if everyone's fit, he's going to be on the bench for me. But you know, it's good for him to have minutes and 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 show that he's a viable option. Yeah, I think I think it's um it's probably his longest run in the team since last season, right? Um, at the end of, of, of last season, so you know I, I don't think it's that surprising to see him um, improve uh, with more games. But yeah, I think um, you know it, it's probably not not necessarily. I don't know. If I want to say it's that unfair to him that he's not played as much, but um, you know I think with everyone fit. I don't think he's in anyone's um, lineup, really. Um, but I did like his performance against West Ham. Um, he, he, he did, you know. I think Kudus kind of cooked him a couple times, um, but then he did did all right to to recover. Um, so you know, 
if you want to rest Tomiyasu for another game against uh, Burnley, even if he is fit, I wouldn't mind seeing Kibio start that game. Maybe Tomiyasu coming on um, for some 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 extra fitness, and then um, you know seeing how how that goes. Because you know the interesting thing to me is that Tomiyasu, I don't get how he's playing ninety minutes for Japan, coming back and 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 he's injured again. You know, um, very very weird one. Uh, very weird one for me. So you know, but that's uh, that's Tomiyasu now. Um, that's Tomiyasu for you. So Sam E underscore ninety one. He says, "What would our eleven look like now if everyone was fit from the beginning of the season? Would the dynamics be wildly different, or do we look the same?" I I think there would be a difference, right? Because we we were always told, I think, by Arteta that um, Timber, Rice, and Havertz signings were all interlinked, and we only saw that for the first half. Um, against Forest on the first day of the season. So I think there was probably a different plan. You know, uh, you see a lot of the tacticos on Twitter talking about a 3-4-3 with um, Havertz just off the main striker not being involved in build-up. Maybe that was part of the plan. Tim Barr as a third centre-back, but also inverting party from right-back. So so we don't know. We don't know. But I think, I think generally the point is, right, and we've already mentioned this, that there's not one specific uh, 11, right? And... and Generally, again, we need to get more comfortable as a fan base for, for, for like, like when you look at City, right? You could say Rodri, KDB and Haaland are the most important players. Everybody else is interchangeable within that team, right? And I think that's probably a position, you know, we, we, we've seen City won games without KDB and Haaland for half the season, right? They were, you know, they were missing. But the moment Rodri got injured... That's when that's when they collapse, man. So, I, I, I don't know if there's a set eleven. Um, it's just about having a quality eighteen that that we can mix and match according to game state and according to to the opposition we're playing against. Yeah, one hundred percent, man, one hundred percent. And I think, you know, if you look at it, um, we should hopefully get to see a bit more of what this could have looked like for the end of this season. You know, if if we get that, you know, tactical plan for the last ten games. And and it looks good. Then then boy, we could be in for um, we could be in for a good time, you know. So um, so let's let's see let's see let's see what um, what it looks like, you know, uh, as uh, some of the, the other TLF members like to like to say. Um, so, Mister H Manoya Harry, he says Zinchenko, ESR, Tomiyasu, Jesus, and Party have all shown they can't be relied on in crunch time. Is it time to move them on in summer? Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, Zinchenko is basically going to be downgraded to a squad option. I think he might have done anyway had uh, Timber been fully fit, right, and never got injured. ESR, um, you know me, I'm not selling my stocks, so you can call me a hypocrite. I'm still keeping that one, so hold that. Um, Tommy Asu is essentially a squad player, right? He is a squad player anyway. He's not someone who starts. So as a squad player, I'm fine to keep him, but the injuries are a concern, and, and I don't like the way he seems to get a lot of leeway from fans, Tomiyasu, despite mm. the fact he misses significant minutes every single season. Um, but hey-ho. Jesus, yeah, another one probably after this season. I think he starts getting down, downgraded to a squad player. And Mr. Ghana, uh, Party, he, he got to go. So, so yeah, to, to the point, um, I think Party will go, and the others will be essentially squad players, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, right? Because I think if you look at it, we already sort of signed a guy to replace Zinchenko, but he just done his ACL, um, you know, uh, on day one. Smith Rowe, I think he he's a good piece to have in the squad. It's about showing fitness, um, and 
you know, hopefully if he's back soon, he can he can start a few more games, show what he's about, really. But Tomiyasu and Jesus, I think they can have similar roles in the squad, but they can be, you know, big utility pieces. So, you know, Jesus can play anywhere in the front line. Tomiyasu can play anywhere in the back line. You know, I think these are good options to have where, you know, the quality that they bring is quite obvious. Um, and the, the hope is that, you know, with Tomiyasu is not always the case, but when they're not um playing as much they shouldn't necessarily um, pick up as many injuries so you know you can really try and manage their minutes if other players are also fit and that's a big if and I think with party you know it's probably enough is enough for me of those five names I think party is the one that I'm just very certain I, I, I don't want here next season um personally I think he's a he's probably the best player um from that um, that, list. Know, that list that list went fit but he's the boy, most unreliable um I'm 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 just not happy with him um at this stage you know I don't want to see you shining your teeth buying watches bruv when you ain't you ain't kicked a ball this season man. <laughs> that's just not that's just not what I'm on pulling your hamstring you know kicking flipping you know Balloons, uh, gender 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 reveal parties <laughs> and stuff like, come on bro like this is just it's not I don't care if I sound like a yadar yeah, I just do not care. Like, uh, this, this, call me, call me whatever names, but he's just, he's just not, he's just not given that he's a serious guy, you know. And that's that's something that, you know, I don't think is good to have around when we're trying to, you know, just develop a squad of serious individuals, really. But um, yeah, so that actually comes on to the next question from Yonko Apps. He says, "What do you think about the notion that Arteta will always struggle to cross the line?" For major trophies until he recruits a couple more experienced players at the very top level at their peak, like 27 to 32 year olds, Jacka and Jorginho's influence in the dis emoji. Okay, I'm not I'm not sure if if I follow that notion, I'd be real. Like more often than not, the reason we've struggled to cross the line in the last few seasons, right, is injuries mostly. Like you look at that season, we were going for top four. What happened? Party got injured, shock. Tim uh Tierney got injured, shock. Tommy Asu got injured, shock. None of them are important players anymore. You see, last season, the main reason was obviously Saliba got injured and we replaced him with Rob Holding. So I don't think it's down to a lack of experience. I think there were some valid criticisms about game management and squad utilisation, which I think we praised earlier in the pod, right? Because I think he's been better with that. You know, he's not had a consistent first 11 and he's managed to adapt to that. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it's, it's down to experience, right? I, I don't look at it and think, oh, yeah. I mean, not... By the way, I'm not against experienced players, but I, I don't think that's the difference between us and... Mm. I mean, that certainly wasn't the difference between us and losing the title last season, personally. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. And I think um, if you get experience through um, your experiences, right? So, you know, this squad, every year they're more experienced. You know, the, the, the more title races they're in, the, the better they should become at you know, dealing with the pressure, knowing what 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 each game means, knowing how much energy you know um, is expended from the physical exertion, the mental exertion, they're more used to it every single year. You know, that's that's what comes with experience. So, you know, I think Saka learned from last season, Odegaard learned from last season, Saliba, Gabriel, all of these men will be picking it up, picking up small things, picking up little things here and there. Um, and so, you know, that experience you can come from, you know, just being involved. You know, you don't win stuff until you win. You get what I'm saying? 
Um, so um, I think you know a lot of these guys will develop that experience that we're we're craving um, very very soon. Um, so AFC Jogger, he says, how many world class players do we really have? Ah, this means you're so subjective, man. Like, mm. there's so many. I, if you ask me, and you ask me to, I'll give you three. I think Saliba, Rice, and Saka. I would have them in in for me in in that. I'd have Erdegaard very close as well. Um, some would choose to include him because I think he's you know he's really reached a new level again. Personally, um, it's always subjective, man. I've been seeing all the Saka photos and stuff today. I've just I, I couldn't be bothered to get involved or. Or respond to it you know who's world class who's not world class the definitions of world class people are just always shifting the goalposts all the time when it comes to this man so i can't be bothered like with saka they've always shifted the goalpost every time every time do you know what i mean so from the moment he's he's come up they said he was a left back said he was getting euros for work experience was one of the best players there world cup he was one of england's best players again you know he's carried arsenal from the mud uh from eight to two title challenges now He's put up numbers for the last three seasons. He's on course to have his best ever season. Um, you know, when you talk about longevity, I don't really understand. And then the final one was Champions League. And, you know, I saw Rio talking about it, but he had, you know, the most goal contributions basically in the group stage along with some of the others. Um, you can only judge what he's put in front of him. But every time he's been put in front, he's delivered, in my opinion. Um, so, so yeah, man. And even when he's he's not delivered, for me, it's more down to fatigue than anything because he gets rinsed more than any other player. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, mm. you know, we always speak about Foden and how he can go long periods, um, not being in the team and no one will blink an eyelid, but you know, a run of five games, everyone's, you know, talking madness. And it's obviously a stand. So don't get me wrong. I think Foden's a brilliant talent. Technically he's elite. Um, it's probably down to aesthetics bias as well, man. So, but yeah, here's what it is. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. I think um, on a world-class point, I think, you know, depending on what we manage to achieve as a club, all of these accolades and all of these, mm. you know, conversations, it will come, man. It will come. So, you know, I'm not too concerned, um, not too concerned by, by all of these conversations because I back these guys. You know, I back these guys to perform. I back these guys to, you know, be able to to show out when, when it matters so that, you know, these conversations just really get get put to bed. Um, you know, so M4 F79 asks, do you think Trossard should be a full-time centre forward and Jesus be a full-time winger for the rest of the season? So, you know, I think we covered this um a little bit. I think we're both, you know, more comfortable with Trossard in that 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 false false nine rather than out wide. But on mm. the Jesus part, um yeah, I personally think he's probably more effective from the wing than he is up front. You know, I think a lot of his best movements and best moments come from him drifting wide to central rather than um, him necessarily starting centrally. And I think he started as a winger, so you know that makes a bit more sense. So I think that's probably what we're going to see next season. Jesus used a lot more on the wings and on the flanks, mm. but then also be a centre forward option as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you know, not yeah. something I'll be mad at. Um, Bayface Nate says, oh, Smithrow injured yet again, this time by the hands of the manager, which I don't think is true. By the way. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> that didn't, that, that is, you, you know, Nate, Nate is always coming with the controversy. That that didn't happen. I think, because I think I saw it already from Charles Watts. He said, yes, I had a little twist, but he tried to play through the pain. He said he was, he wanted to play this weekend, but the club just said, no, nah, let's not risk it in it. So yeah, allow it, man. Allow it, allow it. His question is, is it time to admit he can't be a reliable option to take us forward? 
No. I'm not ready to admit that yet. So no. He's my answer. He's my answer. You can no. you can call me you can call me deluded or hypocrite. I don't care. When when I lose that war, I'll lose that war. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The, the, I'll go down, I'm going down with the ship, man. Yeah, for real. We we may have lost the battle, but listen, you, 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 you saw how Jon Snow won in the in, in the long term, bro. Get me. Mm. So now nah, we're there, man. We're, we're we're going north of the wall. You know, we're 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 leading the wildlings over, bro. We're we're not losing, man. Trust me, at all. For real, for real, for real. So last couple of questions. Da, 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 da. So um, AFSOHAL11, he says, I firmly believe we'll win a Premier League with Mikel as he's a top coach. However, I believe we will have to wait for Pep to leave for this to become a reality. Do you agree? I hope not. I hope he can do it while he's here because that will give him more kudos. And, you know, even if we were like, if we're true villains, like, and we managed to do it this season in Klopp's departure lounge and, and on Pep's head, like that would really solidify everyone who's been talking smack about Arteta. Do you know what I mean? Because he would have beaten the best two coaches in the world, right? To the title. That would do so much for, for, for his PR. Um, but I do think you'll win one anyway. When it will happen, I don't know. Hopefully this season, but it's it, it will happen, man. Definitely. Mm. He, can um, def he can definitely get us over the line. I think so, and I think last season he showed it, right? Like, yeah, that, yeah. That, you know, I know, I know they talk about, oh, yeah, Pep, da, 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 they won 14 games in a row, but ultimately it was in our, we, we had it in our hands, and it was no, our fuck-ups, you know, that um, that meant we didn't win the league, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I definitely think he can do it whilst Pep is here. You know, Klopp has done it whilst Pep is here. Conte's beating Pep to a title. Mourinho's being, beating Pep to a title. Um in the past so you know you know we have to we have to we have to believe you know that's all that's all we can do as fans is believe you know so so that's 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 what i'm gonna do um personally um i am mr lex he says is it time to cash in on Halen squad members uh defo nelson and eddie defo those two um i agree those those two are pure profit. We've spoken loads about the need for a winger, the need for a striker, and those two, you know, obviously they're homegrown opportunities, but those will be pure profit on the books, man. So we should be able to raise raise money for the both of them, man. So and and obviously it also potentially creates space for Luanari and Miles Lewis Skelly in the future as well, man. So it's more a case mm -hmm. of move on current ones, uh, introduce some some newer ones as well, man. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then you know, you talk about some of the other guys on loan. Um, Norton Cuffy, your Patinos and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, get, yeah. We should we should some, be selling selling all of them, man. Get some peas from them as well, right? So, mm -hmm. um, Alexis Kapkas asks, where do Saka and Martin Odegaard rank in your top right winger attacking midfielders in the world, if not top? Who is ahead of them, and what is needed to overtake those players? Um, so with Saka, I've always said I only have Salah above him. People can argue, people can disagree. I don't really care. Um, Obviously, attacking midfielders is different. You know, you've got guys like KDB, um, but I don't think he's. Uh, you know, who else is there? I, I'm not having, never having Bruno above him. You know, Musiala is a hooper. Don't get me wrong, Florian Verts is a hooper, but I don't think any of these guys have outperformed Erdegaard mm. personally, in my opinion. Um, I think they're both young, fantastic talents, but um, yeah, I'd, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. It's interesting that that that, that question on the attacking mid. So I agree with you on Saka, Odegaard. Yeah, it's funny. Would I swap him for Musiala? I'm not sure that I would. Um, 
personally. Um, I, I don't think I'd swap him for Verts. Who else? Who else would you really put in that? You know, I don't yeah, think these guys are proven world class players either, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mus- Musiala, Musiala is class. He's absolutely cold. Um, mm. You know, I'm, I'm I'm thinking, you know, Bernardo Silva. You yeah, know, yeah. Would I class him? Class him as like a, like an attacking mid that I play there. Probably I would. Um, I'd probably have him. Oof, it's a tough one. I think I'd probably have him ahead of, of Odegaard as well at this stage. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't think there's many better than these two guys in their positions. You know, and when it comes yeah. to like in terms of swapping them for what they do for us, I'm not sure that I swap them with anyone that isn't called Kevin De Bruyne. You know, um, facts, facts. To be honest, so, so yeah, it's, an, it's 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 definitely an interesting one in terms of what it's need to overtake those players. I think you just need to do and have the impact that those players have in their respective teams. You know, mm. um, Salah's impact at Liverpool cannot be denied. He's he's those two are what you call inevitable players, right? Kevin yeah. De Bruyne and, and Mo Salah. Like when the chips are down, when the team needs something, them man other guys, you know, that you turn to them, them who repeatedly step up in the big moments um, and the small moments as well. So, you know, I think that if you want to overtake those guys, that's what you're going to have to turn into, you know, that those forces of nature, basically, that can't be stopped. Facts. Yeah. Um, Last question from Oko James. He says, why does Trossard get less respect than Jesus? Do we need to start thinking about player roles differently than our more traditional means based on the way we play uh I, I think we've spoken about the second question you know in terms of you know squad roles and it being more of a squad game so i agree on that um fundamentally though i think jesus at his best is better than trossard at his best like you, mm-hmm. you get what i mean when jesus is on it like what he generates like obviously i know we, we laugh about bcm and stuff but when Jesus is on job, like, uh, I wouldn't, you know, there's not many, you know, what he does for the whole front line as a whole, obviously, we know he doesn't score enough, but the way the attack looks when Jesus is on job, yeah, I, I'm not sure Trossard can replicate that. Trossard's a good deputy, don't get me wrong, and, you know, we've spoken about probably needs to play false nine more again, but I wouldn't swap him for Jesus when they're both at their best. Yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. So we'll leave it there. Um, Sean, thanks for joining me. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Everyone that asks questions, always, always appreciated. Some really good questions in this week. I've enjoyed recording that pod especially. Um, we've got a nice set of fixtures coming up, and obviously we've got Champions League ball returning next week. So, you know, the next main TG pod will be after the Porto game um, and after Burnley uh, away. So make sure you lock in for our analysis of both of those games. And we will do a post-match on the Patreon um, for the Burnley game straight after that as well. Um, so if you haven't joined the Patreon and you want to you know, tune in some of these post-matches, we go into you know, the detail of each individual player's performance on the, on the day, um, give them a match rating as well, uh, then make sure you lock in for that. Um, and as I said at the top of the pod, Make sure this is the perfect time now to give the five-star rating, perfect time to leave a review, tell a friend to tell a friend. If, then, if they don't know about Touchline Fracker, they really do need to know about Touchline Fracker and the Touchy Gooners especially. So make sure you guys are locked in. But otherwise, yes. 
the, the same okay. way you're doing propaganda for your for your babes on Valentine's Day. I need propaganda for the TG machine, man. Give us a plug. Give us a five-star rating review. Help us, man. Thank you. For real. And if you are listening on, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, make sure you just give it a share on the Instagram story, man. Mm-hmm. You know, let people know this is what you're locked into. This is what you're enjoying, you know. So um, all of that stuff really helps the podcast, and we appreciate it. So, you know, you guys, thank you. Um, love and appreciate all the listeners, and we'll catch you uh, after the Burnley match um, and hopefully after another, you know, Six, well, I'll say three points in the league and a, a, a win going into the second leg against Porto. Peace. Peace. To 2 2, and we've still got more than half an hour to go. And here's Ozil. Lacazette. Ozil! Go! Network.